Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. Gentlemen, we have a problem. We are entering that difficult second year. Oh, it was easy the first year, no one knew us. Expectations were low, and we wowed the crowd. But now, it's second album time. And frankly, I don't think doing the same thing again is going to cut it. Sirs, we're going to have to push the envelope and be a bit more risque. Dare I say it, controversial. So thinking caps on, we need to think of some new daring things to do. Okay, one. For now on, we only ever do the podcasts in our underwear. Um, Ian, Ian, yes. I already do the podcast in my underwear. I don't know what you're talking about. I always have done. It's, it's, it's a thing, you know. Uh, plus, I wear it on my head just for the extra keeps my brain warm, you know. But uh, uh. anyway, leaving that mental image aside, if we're going to be controversial, we're going to need to uh, to brainstorm. And I also think that uh, we should probably uh, well. Justin's controversially uh, disappeared. We don't know where he is. He's probably going to turn up halfway through the show. That's what he usually does in these circumstances. But if we're going to be controversial, if we're going to air an opinion that may fly in the face of a popular wisdom, then there's only one person who could possibly help us. Wife? Yep. Yeah, there we go. See, she's here. So we're ready to go. You're going to help us talk about controversy. But I thought we'd start off, rather than just getting straight into the, you know, the real nitty-gritty of, of, of the, the, the sort of uh, moral controversies that have been there. Uh, the film industry itself during our lifetimes has gone through many technological controversies, uh, which uh, are all to do with the film industry feeling that their, their business model and their way of life is threatened. Uh, I'm, I want you to take your minds back to the early 80s. Now, as kids, the way that I experienced this, and therefore probably the way that everyone else here experienced it, is that when you were born, there were no video recorders. And then, as you got older, a video recorder was brought home. And then you had a video recorder, and that was cool. And then you watched many videos on the VCR. And from a child born in the you know late 1970s or early 1980s, that's the way that it was experienced. And only later did we discover the seething... A pot of controversy surrounding the invention of this particular device. Just to illustrate, uh, for those of you that don't know, the uh, studio head in charge of the studio that owned Jaws expressed his own deep personal wounding and horrible concern that people should feel that they should be able to buy a videotape of, of Jaws and then put it in a box and watch it whenever they liked and he wouldn't get any money for that. He thought that was terrible. You know, that's not the way the film industry had ever worked. And he was he was not going to sit by and let it go. You know, yeah, the, the film studios tried to get VCRs outlawed when they were new. And, and they lost the fight in the end. Well, of course um, they did. Well, of course they did, because it happened. It was a thing, and then it wasn't a thing anymore. Well, they, of course they did. Who took up VCRs bigger than the porn industry? And you can't beat the porn industry. Well, that was one thing. So. And uh, the other thing that really, you know, 
got the major studios was then studios sprung up that went, oh, so you don't want to make films for VC for videotapes? Fine, we'll make films for videotapes. Direct-to-video has had a sort of bizarre past because when well, it was it's, it, it's, it's filled in the gap for the B movie. The B movies went to video instead. Well, except that I think that at first, I mean, I think that the idea of a direct-to-video business model when they started out was that, yes, necessarily they didn't have much money, so they had to make cheaper movies, you know, and put them direct-to-video. But the studios were all 100%, the films and cinema, movie studios were all 100% adamant that they would not be entering the video market, and you would never see any of their titles on home video. And so I think that the hope of those studios was that there would be two markets. There would be the cinema movie market and the home video video market, and that they would be left alone to grow, and it would be like just a different thing. And then the movie studios kind of eventually had a big meeting and went, we're being stupid, aren't we? Well, it, went, it is. Yeah. It, it, video is it's, it's a format. I mean, television was bleeding onto video fairly early on. I mean, you can tape television on your video apart from anything else. So, you know, this whole snooty, no, you can't put our glorious widescreen surround sound film on your little, you know, magnetic tape a video player, ugh. Uh, my dad was a very early adopter of videotapes. I think we got ours in eight, 1981, and we had a Betamax. So, you know, we obviously went for the, the, the premier product that was out at the time in terms of quality. And it was it was a solid choice, as you can see. But, uh, yes. Well, no, we had, a, we had a Betamax. That was our first was the Betamax. The point is that if you went and bought a copy of Witch in 1981 and, and, and said which video recorder should, format should I go with, the answer would be Betamax. Betamax had better quality, smaller tapes, uh, more durability, better picture quality. Um, if Sony hadn't dug their heels in and said, you're not putting porn on our tapes, <laughs> um, they then VHS would probably have lost. But VHS won't, whatever, put whatever. Yeah, VHS put like, many, whoever wants to put stuff on, on VHS, go ahead. That's what they were like. Yeah, and that, that that's what won VHS the, the format wars of that particular generation. It's interesting because I grew up with both in my house because my dad at the time was working for um, a well-known company that's repairing right, okay. TVs, videos, um, Betamax. You know, back in the early 80s, he started out as an electrician who worked for a company repairing TVs and videos and Betamaxes and that kind of stuff. And... You know, it was very, it was just very odd because that's we had all these we had hundreds of them piled up in our house and people used to bring them round for him every time there was something jammed in there. Oh, my thing's jammed, or this has happened, or that's happened. My dad used to fix it for them and send them on the way. So we always used to have piles of these bloody things all over the house. So yeah, my dad was the famous man who used to, he used to take your VCR or Betamax round to 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 fix. So yeah, we had both. We had everything. It's, so, it's, it's also it's, worth. Worth noting in the uh, videotape controversy, of course, the rules and the law that were around governing videotaping, that you can only keep something you taped off television for two weeks and only members of the household could watch it. I mean, it was like they seriously imagined you might buy two, maybe three blank videotapes, but no more. Surely that'll be as many as people are ever going to need. And, and I, I, my friends, me, I don't know anyone who didn't have this kind of wall of, of home-taped movies on television <laughs> series labelled. 
I mean, they gave you video cassette with spare labels. What do they think was going to happen? <laughs> well, to the, well, yeah, but the video manufacturers are different. The, vi- the people who manufactured the video cassettes were very different people to the people who were telling you what you could do with them um, in terms of, of putting media on them. Um, and of course, you know, we, the, the, you know, the home VCR camera camcorder uh, came out at the same time. So you know, there was. There was a reason to buy more tapes to tape your birthdays, and as long as you don't sing "Happy Birthday," because of course that's copyright controlled, um, and you know just stuff like that. One of the things that I used to have was wrestling, um, because it was on at like one in the morning. Because you know they used to do wrestling events in America, and of course we were in England, so you couldn't watch them live. So I used to put the VCR on to record the wrestling at one o'clock in the morning. So that I could get up the next day and watch the wrestling event that had been on. You know, and I was like five years old recording like wrestling, you know what I mean? American wrestling yeah. overnight. So yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, these uh, warnings and and you know so forth uh, still apply, and like they, it's weird they apply to all your hard media. So if you're actually worse now because technically you can't buy something for somebody else in your own household to watch now. Well, things like that. Te- yeah, I mean, well, yeah, technically, yeah, technically. Uh, if you buy a DVD, that DVD is for you to watch and you alone, and nobody else is allowed to see it. You so, if you, let it your, so if you buy Princess Barbie and let your daughter watch Princess Barbie, you're breaking the law. Um, <laughs> but but the, the, the thing about it is, I think about all of those things, and it suddenly occurs to me that there is no law because, you know, again, eventually these things reach a point, uh, technology pushes you to a point where the enforcement of that law would be utterly ridiculous, which is uh, you can't, there's no law. They don't put a message or I don't know, maybe it's in the terms and conditions, but I don't believe there's any problem with you having someone else around your house and stuffing something on Netflix. I I don't think that's a, it certainly doesn't flash up in front of everything you watch. Make sure you're only watching this by yourself. You're the subscriber, not anyone else. Because at that point it becomes, you know, yeah. it might be in terms well, of and, and, until the age we, we have brain chips and the machines can detect who's in the room. That's utterly unenforceable. Yeah. But you know, you can't just get people down your church hall and stick on a videotape or on an oil rig or something. Hey, I bought a video. Gather around, everyone. Let's and break the to, law. If you go to the chapel on the oil rig, that's right out. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, yeah. So then there's all these kind of bizarre things that they've tied you up on. The problem with it is. That when they let that in the door, when somebody didn't just go, you can't make that law, that's unenforceable. The whole point is that the big panic about unenforceable laws is, of course, well, if you make a law that's unenforceable and then people go around breaking it and you can't do anything about it because the law is unenforceable, it makes people kind of go, well, that law's unenforceable. What about killing people or stealing things? I said, well, that's slightly more enforceable, but yes. you know, it makes it look like you know, as they said, the, the, the you know, the the law is an ass. It just doesn't it doesn't work. Well, it was sheer you know, protectionism, the, is what it was. It was, and indeed, it is to this day. And and you know, what is interesting is that the advent of the internet has given far more people far more scope to moan far more vehemently about the way that the protectionism is still operating. Um, there's the famous oatmeal cartoon. Uh, called so i wanted to watch game of thrones where the guy you know goes to all these legal 
things to try and find a copy of the Game of Thrones that he missed. Um, and he just can't get, you know, he, he can't sign up to cable in order to get the uh, HBO Go online service to watch the catch-up episode. And it doesn't appear on any rental stores and you can't download it off iTunes. And then he goes on Pirate Bay and it, the, the next caption is, two hours later, yeah, I'm watching it, it's brilliant. And he goes, you know, what is the point? You know, if you want if you want to get a copy of this movie legally, you can't. Yeah. And so that's why... Well, we were why... having this problem the other day. We were trying to find stuff that you wanted to watch. And the stuff that you can't find anywhere is unbelievable. So, yeah, that's well, your biggest the... problem. Come on, people, get your access. The early really 90s. To be fair, the yeah. early 90s are a, a, a graveyard of movies that... You, Not just the early nineties. Well, mean, yeah, I mean there are like this films but, that have just been tossed but, aside. But the nineties in particular, I noticed there are films that were, you know, respectable at the time. Yeah. They, they never bothered. As far as I know, they never bothered to release them on DVD. Um, if they did, it was a limited region thing. You can't download them. They're not on any streaming services. You can't. There is actually no way to watch that movie unless a television station has the right to show it, shows it, and then you you TiVo it or whatever, or you get it on some kind of dodgy torrent. Because that and that's that's what's bizarre to me is the the protectionist atmosphere, uh, uh, the protectionist attitude towards something. You can't even be bothered to release. I mean, you know, with books, you can buy print on demand. You can make a book, and then they only print a copy if somebody actually wants to buy one. And the thing is, it's like books are quite difficult because they're made of paper and they have ink in them and stuff like that. I mean, it's quite inconvenient to print a book. Whereas to burn a movie onto a DVD is trivial, and yet there's no nothing that goes, oh yeah, here's our entire back catalogue. Um, we're not going to release this, uh, you know, streaming, but you can buy a DVD of it, but we'll only burn you one if you actually want a copy of it. But those that service doesn't exist; it never has existed, and at this stage, it will probably enter obsolescence before it ever does exist. Because of this protectionist attitude. I mean, that well, could have been a nice little link you know, the street. Um, maybe some point in the future, we, you know, the internet will have a computer like the one in Star Trek that has a complete you know, catalogue of everything humanity's ever written or produced. You can just summon up. You know, maybe, maybe that'll be the thing one day. You can just download it. But the thing is, does an artist have a right, for whatever reason, to suppress a work they no longer want to go out there? I mean, I know they're not actually suppressing these things, they just can't be bothered. But in principle, can an artist suppress a piece of work? Look, you know what? If a work of art is well enough known that people can make a fuss about it not being available in any format or any download, I'm all for that. Because you know what? The Those artists who are there like, please read my stuff, please watch my stuff, please listen to my stuff, they're getting a break from the fact that somebody who thinks they're too good for other people to view their art has denied them the opportunity. Maybe they'll get bored and go and what? I mean, that's the big problem of piracy, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is that really, you know, it doesn't take very long to work out. There's enough free stuff out there that you should never need to break the law to get your hands on something new to 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 
appreciate from an artistic genre and artistry uh, uh, piracy just makes people lazy they know that this thing exists they know they don't want to pay for it and they can't get it anywhere you know or maybe they could get it somewhere else but they're just going to pirate it anyway and that's what they do whereas actually there's no i mean then they go oh yeah but most of what's available you know quote unquote for free is rubbish it's like well yeah that's the cost the cost is you have to sift through this mountain of gravel to find the diamond but you're not breaking a law and, you know, it can be fun. When you find that diamond, you get to feel that special feeling that you found something worth finding in the mountain of slurry. Well, that's, that's you know... Whereas well, you if know, you just... Um, you well, know, instant gratification of the thing that you think you thought you wanted. No, not very well, satisfying you know, well, um, that's, just, that's just Leo being Leo, because Leo yes. likes it. Leo likes sifting through the mountain to find the diamond. Uh, I mean... Uh, I was I was thinking of George Lucas's holiday Star Wars special uh, of something that is actively being suppressed by Lucas because he wants to pretend it never happened and people want to go see it for ghoulish delight. <laughs> but um, actually, perhaps you know some things shouldn't be on video, Leo, for you know moral reasons because we could watch these things and we could be affected by them because our brains are like sponge and we'd be forced to act them out like robots that have been programmed. Like if I watch enough horrifically violent videos i might actually feel the need to go out and you know enact them on people yes i mean i think we should we can't really pass through the arena of controversy without talking about the video nasty list uh, but i don't really want to talk about you know the history of it all because there are many many places where you can find all the information about you know there's a, i mean the video nasty list this is sort of the bit that got me again you view it through the lens of childhood and it was a UK thing. So, you know, I was living in the country where the video nasty list was a thing. And um, all I remember as a child was that anything could be, you know, well, the, the, what they did was, you know, the media hysteria surrounding it was that anything could be a video nasty. But there was an actual list and the things that, you know, the media just decided to say, they, they, they would do things like, you know, that they obviously never do any more because they would be journalistically dishonest. I say, could this be the next thing on the video nasty list? Implication, it's not on the video nasty list. We're having a slow news day. And so we found this movie that's a bit of a horror movie. So we thought yeah, but, but, but we'd things, make a moral things, panic things out were of nothing genuinely banned, Leo. For, for, for oh, yeah, no, no. Good, the video good. nasty list was a list of actual movies that were banned. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. But, but, but by then, doing so, they gave it a certain rebel chic, didn't they? It became a, became a, a badge of infamy. That is kind of the point that I wanted to, to dwell upon. It's like, it's the only time in British history that that is, you know, well, I, I don't think it's the only time in Brit British history it's ever happened, because it isn't. There was also a list of novels that were deemed to be too saucy, famously Lady Chatterley's lover. I mean, you know, that should have been the the sort of the the, the key point no, is no. that Lady Chatterley's lover is not a very good novel. It's a bit crap. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, it's not it's not good. It, it's a bit woolly. It doesn't really have a point. Um, you know, it, 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 it sort of. It's just, you know, it happens to have a couple of sex scenes in it. 
And they banned it for many, many years. And then someone stood up and, you know, talked about free speech and God knows what to do on it. And it's had film adaptations and television series and, you know, one of the few ones in which Sean Bean doesn't die. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I yes, I was thinking about the right thing. Yeah, and all of this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's not good. It's not a good thing. It, the plot is terrible. Um, yes, but it, it wasn't banned because it had a terrible plot. It was banned because it had sex scenes. It was moral outrage again. Well, yeah, but the point is that because that's what the morally outraged people wanted to focus on, that's... that's you know, actually allowed something to slip through that, that was pretty terrible. Known, yeah, yeah, yeah so it, it allowed it to become a classic. You know, if if nobody had bothered having a moral outrage about it... It would have it, just passed by anyway. It would have been forgotten. Nobody would have remembered about it because it's not very good. This is what happens to things that are not very good. There are there are buckets and buckets of... of or maybe they're not. Maybe they'd be melted down now. But Shannon Tweed erotic thrillers, yeah? Nobody cares about them. Nobody wants to see them. Nobody would spend an hour and, out of, and a half out of their life to watch them. Um, you know, I mean, maybe there are fans. Well, there are always fans. There are fans of everything. But the general populace at home doesn't care about, you know, erotic <laughs> obsession five. Nobody but, cares. But Driller Killer... But Driller Killer, on the other hand, again, uh, I mean, Driller Killer is a bit of a... This is the problem, you see. The Evil Dead, uh, Driller Killer, and, and, you know, a couple of other... Holocaust. Well, yeah, you see, there's some films that end up there that had something about them that made them worthwhile. Uh, and we're kind of trotting through those films yes, really quickly. Would, I probably would not have even known about these films if they weren't infamous for being banned because they were too considered too horrifically violent. But there's there's like 80 films on the list, and as people who've watched it say, you get down to the the drag, the, the you know the bog end of those 80 films. They say they say you know I was researching the video nasties phenomenon, and I tell you now I've watched all of the video nasties that exist ever. Um, I really you know couldn't. I pretty much seen all of them. You've pretty much seen all of them. You yeah. know, some of them I would never have watched if they weren't on the list, um, is what they say, because they're rubbish. I've seen a lot of... Well, you know, I've seen a lot of weird, controversial horror films. I've seen a lot of video nasties. Um, I was kind of detoxified against horror from a very young age, so to me, it's like... To me, most of them are amusing, um, because it's like, how? How has this been banned in any way, shape or form? Well, that was the other thing, of course. Some um, of them are quite mild. Some of them are a bit ridiculous, and I don't understand how they've even been banned. I can understand certain things, certain things I can kind of go, okay, fair enough, uh, Cannibal Holocaust being one of them. Um, cause, but, yeah, but I mean, yeah, to take, for example, Driller Killer, yeah? See, I find Driller Killer quite amusing. I think if you take it as, you know, well, it's a not... proper slasher, you know, but it's not fun, but I it... find it a bit amusing. Well, it's, it's... Because it's not really that Well, it's bad. a dramatic presentation about a man whose yeah. life is so destroyed by noise pollution that he goes bonkers and yeah. kills a bunch of people with a drill. And it's But the whole point of that whole bit where, and then he goes bonkers and kills people with a drill is because it's an exploitation movie. Yeah. Abel Ferrara's like, how do I get people to want to watch this movie? Well, this guy goes bonkers, kills people with a drill. We call it Driller Killer. But I'm going to, because I 
I can't do that for very long because if I did all of my drill special effects in a row, the film would last about 18 minutes. We're going to have an hour and 10 minutes of him slowly going mad by himself in the flat with people playing rock music the and question, road the works. The question has always been, does these things cause problems? And Well, I think we need to go to child's play and talk about that. And this is what I'm saying. The question there becomes child's play with the Jamie Bulger thing and... I, to this day, will still say that those kids were disturbed in other ways. Yes, well, that's, to, to, that's to, the, to, the, yeah. the fact that they've first been thing. to jail and come out and they're still causing problems for society and had to go back to jail. Do you know what I mean? Yes, to get, to get the background to this, this was two two boys who kidnapped an uh, even younger boy and then tortured him to death. And uh, part of the excuse for this was they'd seen Child's Play 3, which has, you know, the Chucky doll in it, which obviously is hacked to pieces. Uh, and and there was a, well, quite a moral wobble about this film, which well, seems this absurd is, yes. when you see Child's Play 3. Because the thing is, I, I am a person who has seen a lot of horror from a very young age. I am a person who is into heavy metal. I am a person who, by all standards, should be going around murdering people then. And yeah. actually has quite a moral high compass. I actually, you know what I mean? How many episodes of Star Trek do I have to watch before I become an astronaut? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, but do you understand what I'm saying? It's that I, 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 I think it's a, it's a very elitist argument. It's going, you know, people might watch yeah. this and be affected by it. Well, not yeah. me, obviously, because I'm an intelligent I person. I think people but can other, be affected by it. Be affected I think by. people can be affected by it if there's already something wrong with them. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think there has to be something else going off there. I think those two boys had to have been abused or something, or something has had to have gone off in their life that disturbed them far beyond a film. And you know what I mean? For them to be that way, there's something yeah, going they, off they in weren't somebody's brain chemistry away from committing somewhere. This there's That's something ridiculous. going off that we don't know that we can't answer. You know, um, I don't think we can just pin it on a film. I mean, one of the interesting things that they did recently, I mean, films are difficult to uh, measure. I mean, it's, it's, well, it's not difficult to measure. Yes, I, I think that broadly the argument that somebody who does something because they saw it on television um, was already prone to, you know, being a nutter. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the way it is. You know, people who... Can, anyone you either who, have <clears throat> those tend- psychopathic yeah. tendencies or you don't. If you, you, cannot, I mean? if you cannot separate reality from television or, or fiction or, you know, comic books or whatever, then you have a problem before you even start. You don't need to do anything to have a problem. You just have a problem yeah. because there's a line, you know, fantasy, reality, yeah. and the two well, things are you know, in separate I, boxes. I think when you you're know, actually genuinely torturing someone to death, you've you, you got to think, this is this seems very real the thing i'm doing now it's yeah, not like it is on gonna, television you're gonna have a moment where you know you've got blood on your hands and you're gonna go wait a minute this doesn't feel right surely there's a moral compass there and at 10 years old you kind of do know this is right or wrong yeah um you know but my yeah but the thing yeah, about it's it is that one. it is far more easy to to uh talk about the incitement of rage anger whatever when you're talking about um, an interactive medium and the interesting thing is that the latest scientific study not that this will be the last but the latest scientific study uh regarding violence in video games suggests that increase in aggression is seen not because the game itself is violent but because the person 
uh, because the game is too difficult for the person playing it. And so they've turned up to play, you know, violent first-person shooter X and wanted to, you know, have that cathartic release of, you know, filling a-holes full of lead. And then the game keeps beating them. And so they get frustrated and it makes them more angry. Whereas actually, it it is exactly the reverse. If they can waltz through and and fulfil that and have the wish fulfilment, they come back and go, yeah, I feel much better now. So weirdly, you know, what you say is, make your games less difficult or give it a setting where you can just plough through piles of people with just because making it too difficult is what makes people frustrated who may already have been wound up yes and but that's of course a very the, interesting the, the the moral outrage crowd has not changed their arguments they're still saying you play these games they're programming themselves to be violent you know which is it's utterly ridiculous you're actually programming yourself to sit on the couch and not do very much apart from twiddle your thumbs it's the actual thing you're conditioning your brain to do i mean lady chatley's lover that was because you know we don't want people to start have sex in public my goodness this is just going to erode our values it's, yeah. it's exactly the same argument it always has been i mean the only, the only bump i can see on the road is is, is the dungeon dragons oh. outrage because people were worried about the occult and that's the, you know people were, people were worried they're going to be programmed to go out and uh, kill things with swords it was oh no they're going to summon satan yeah well what's the three big controversies when you think about it it's sex drugs and violence and violence that's it that's the three big controversies. And it doesn't matter whether it's video games, music, or videos, or you know what I mean? If it's implied in any way, shape, or form that it's about sex, drugs, or you know what I mean, violence, then it must be bad. Although, and it must be wrong. Yeah. And it must be. And it's like, I'm yeah, a- I'm not going to sit here saying I agree with a lot of rappers going smack a hoe and all this kind of. I'm sorry. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, I came from a metal end where, you know, they're, they're singing about sweet cherry pies and all this kind of stuff. And I understand that in, in Cation as well. And it's like, well, actually, yeah, but I have to kind of I have to kind of accept that kind of there was a whole genre. thing. There was a whole thing. Uh, it's an old joke by the, the Mary Whitehouse experience yeah. people about uh, words that are on a swearing frequency so high. They can be said on radio because the people who decide what can and can't be said on radio don't know what they mean. And the famous one uh, from the early 90s was felching. And uh, you could say that as much as you wanted on Radio 4 because nobody understood what it meant who would have made one of those lists. Um, And that, you know, that was, that, that was, and it's the same thing. Like, uh, nobody ever decided that they wanted to ban the Strangler's Golden Brown yeah. because it was about heroin. Yeah. And, and at the time that the Velvet Underground were happening, they wanted to ban the Velvet Underground, but they didn't care about their music because, again, they didn't understand, you know, Lou Reed's Perfect Day was used as a, a BBC promo video being a song that Lou Reed... The, the, the you that Lou Reed is referring to in the song Perfect Day where he went to feed animals at the zoo and blah, 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 was, was heroin, again. He didn't spend it with a person. It's not, it's not a song about spending a nice day with another person. It's a day about shooting up heroin and going around going, oh, isn't the world nice? Because I'm on heroin. And yet Marilyn Manson sings about, you know, teenagers are not being listened to, let's all scream and shout about it, and the next thing you know, he's being banned. Exactly. You know, what I mean? so, it's, you oh, know yeah. for sake, so, so, in, in that, wasn't it? Which was the one they pinned on him. Yeah. 
In that way, well, any time anything happens in America, the uh, the go-to is Marilyn Manson. Let's blame him again. Um, I do feel bad for Marilyn Manson because he's probably one of the most educated men as well. Well, no, no, but the thing about it is, no, but the thing about it is, happily tell you, you should just all be listening to your teenagers. Yeah, but but the thing about the thing about it is, I think that uh, the first time when you kind of, I think, you get sort of. Uh, scapegoated for some ridiculous thing that was nothing to do with you. Uh, I mean, at least Marilyn Manson had a history of knowing about Judas Priest and knowing about Dee Snyder and all of that kind of thing. Um, So he didn't come into it completely raw. And at this stage, it's like, he's got it already. Like, there's going to come a point where they don't blame him because it's like, what's the point of blaming him? He'll make us look like idiots within the next 12 hours yeah. because he's got lawyers and people and, and the minute they try and blame him it'll be like boom it's your fault and that'd be it and so you know and he's actually you know kind of I, I imagine it's like you know nobody wants to choose to be in that position yeah. but the fact that he knows that he's a, a target it gives him the uh, opportunity for prepare preparation yeah. and to be honest the kind yeah. of people who try and blame other people for stuff that isn't really their fault don't like that person to be prepared for them to do it yeah. well society has huge problems and to change them is going to require a massive effort massive change and probably a lot of money and maybe even a whole generation have to tick by before we start seeing benefits from it whereas you can go out and kill a dragon that doesn't exist and then declare victory over it and say we have saved yeah. society so so I mean yeah, we've, we talked there about and I think that's probably about the right to about the mechanics of controversy uh, which is ideal in a way I mean the video nasties thing was an actual societal controversy that went back and forth for a bit before you know in the end people kind of went yeah but you know the fact is we've made these films which you can you know have imported from the US or buy from another region we've made these films incredibly sort of we've given, given them a cult popularity can kim um <laughs> Giving them like a cult popularity. Yeah, you make them more this. famous by doing this. And some of them, you know, some of them were fine. Again, and they... again most of these films would have drifted on by if you, and nobody would have paid much mind to them if you hadn't put them on that list. Exactly. And so that's some where... of them still would have been iconic. <sighs> Clockwork Orange, yeah. for instance, still would have been an iconic film. There's nothing. Uh, but now, but Clockwork Orange is a very a, a very interesting example because that wasn't banned by anyone except the director. The director banned it in the UK because he believed that it brought something, quote-unquote, ugly out of the British psyche. And that's why it was banned in the UK. It wasn't banned because anyone wanted it to be banned. I know, but do you understand what I'm saying? It's that kind of thing of, you know, there's certain things that they're iconic anyway and they're always going to be iconic. It's about the exorcist. Yeah. Exorcist is another one. It's iconic. You know what I mean? Exorcist is is an iconic film. It's got a lot of references to it that... I've been taken up in comedy and other films and horror, other horror films and you know it's 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 an iconic film. There's no yes no buts about that. Exorcist is an amazing film. Um, so yeah, there's certain films that stand the test of time. A lot of that list of the video nasty eighties, it's just you know you can they need to go in a landfill and be forgotten about. Yeah, but one, right. <laughs> but this is what's really interesting about all the conversation that we've had so far, and this is the point that I kind of wanted to get to, <laughs> is that we're we're currently obviously doing our trawl through the nineties, and I think that the nineties, uh, particularly the era that were the part of the nineties, the early nineties that we're looking at right now, exemplify a watershed in 
maybe even Western culture, let alone you well, know, the taste UK is no culture. longer an issue, isn't it? You know. Um, well, it, it's the fact that people kind of started invoking controversy as a reason to go to the cinema. I mean, this is this is the early nineties is in the full, full swing of of video and prior to DVDs or the internet. I mean, this is the same time that cinemas were going as they were and multiplexes were starting that the whole business model of hollywood was changing and so i think yeah there was a, a, a seed of well how are we going to get people in and there being a, something of the sideshow about it i mean i was saying before the podcast began that uh, basic instinct in particular is a film that the studio Caught they, I mean, you know, talk about courting controversy. Nobody was putting, you know, the first reason, the number one reason, the most important, prioritized reason you should buy a cinema ticket to go and see Basic Instinct is because it's a fantastic film with great entertainment value. Nobody said that, you know, Basic Instinct, much, a gripping thriller. Yeah, exactly. They weren't, they weren't trying to Basic sell it to Instinct. a man. Sharon Stone's vagina and tits—that's yeah. what they sold it on. Exactly, they—they they had no objection to try and get people, and they were going, "Yeah, it's a sex, it's a screenplay, so sexy. We paid the guy who wrote it the most money a screenwriter has ever been paid." These were the things that were going out in the press stream. They were getting people into the cinema. It's like, who cares whether it's a good movie or not? You want to see this because you know it was—it totally had that aspect of the freak show about it. And I think that if you took Verhoeven aside and said, is that how you want your movie sold? He goes, look, at the end of the day, I don't care how the movie's sold. People will see the movie and they'll appreciate the movie. So, you yeah, know, Verhoeven's at some point... always, been, always been one for pushing, you know, boundaries, isn't it? Uh, but the thing about it is that I think the thing that tells you most about Verhoeven's attitude to the way that the film sits in in historical perspective, is that on the 10-year edition DVD, he and the studio went out of their way to get Camille Parlia, you know, a big feminist commentator, to do a commentary track. And I think that says, we want you to know there's more to this movie than what maybe people kind of focused on at the time. You know, that bit of the VHS video that's really worn through... Uh, from the pause button and the rewind button. That's not what this movie is about. It doesn't matter. That's what they sold it. Oh, and it's, well, exactly. It's too late to. You know, they are both. You can't backtrack and say this movie has great feminist power and all this stuff when you've sold it on. Look at the tits and arse of Sharon yeah, Stone. Exactly. You can't do that. But I mean, you know, Basic Instinct is not alone in this. You know, in this era, uh, Reservoir Dogs, of course, uh, attracted a lot of controversy, which I think is actually the reverse. I don't think that. Harvey Weinstein, Miramax, Tarantino, anyone really wanted people to focus on how violent or how much swearing there was in it. Which, considering again, I was still saying, did nobody see Robocop? But you know. Well, the, the, there is <laughs> violence in Reservoir Dogs, and there's violence in Pulp Fiction, but it's fleeting of violence. It's just that violence has real well, consequences. I mean, Sue, brings up, Sue brings up a very good point, which is Robocop. Is to I mean I you body know, the, count wise yeah the more horrific. the more and more I go back to RoboCop uh, from 1987 um, the more and more I realise that it is one of the most violent movies ever made ever <laughs> it's like, like like and, and the the sort of casual and the satirical aspect to it it really has that punch that actually hasn't really been replicated and was it mentioned yes 
Was it controversial? Kinda. But was the controversy the important thing? No, the important thing was it was a science fiction movie about a dude Robo-Cop. who was a robot cop. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, the soldiers, got... look, Mandy Robocop, yeah, Robocop, yeah, yeah. yeah. Robot yeah. cop, it's a sci-fi, yeah. an edition of the Terminator, an alien. That's how it was sold. They didn't court the controversy. The controversy just happened to them. Similarly, I mean, The Silence of the Lambs had a lot of controversy surrounding it at the time that that came out. But again, they didn't court that. It just kind of landed on them. And the studio tried to sort of... But the more that... I mean, you know, on that side, when a film had controversial topic matter, I think that in most cases, with the exception of Basic Instinct, the studio was there ready to catch the ball. I think what was more interesting is that after Reservoir Dogs, you have films like Killing Zoe and God knows what, and like loads of City of Industry, where, you know, oh, it's got Harvey Keitel in it, and people shoot each other in the face and swear. Therefore, this is a movie like Tarantino's movies. And it, it was like, well, no, this is just not... That you know, controversy. You know, it's the extreme nineties. Controversy became the selling point, and um, in fact, it revealed rather quickly that having controversial material in your movie does not make it a good movie. Two movies from the nineties I, I remember. I think they came out in the same year. The first one is Crash, which is people getting off on having car crashes and then having sex in the, in the wreckage afterwards. Yeah. That created controversy. The other one, which I think was the same year, was Kids, in which a tween discovers he has HIV and then goes out to spread it amongst as many other tweens as possible as he possibly can. I haven't actually seen the film, but that's the description I've read of it. Uh, Crash caused a lot of controversy because, again, people believed that. Although we would go and do well, this. Crash caused controversy in the UK. Yeah, again, there was a in this country, yeah. because and, they thought we would go and do uh, this crap. And what's really interesting about it is that whereas most people, I mean, most people in the UK. Then again, saying that, uh, we have driven around the UK, so actually. <laughs> 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 to be people, fair, most people do drive. Like, well, I, I have driven before. a car and I have had sex. My God, it's possible. Right, no. The thing about it is that what's really interesting about the crash thing is that most people in the UK haven't seen uh, David Cronenberg's crash. Most people wouldn't care to. Most people would find it dull if they did see it, blah, blah, blah. The only reason it's got any notoriety at all is because one guy who happens to work at the British Board of Film Classification really took against it. And and the fact of the matter is, most people weren't even interested. It's a bit of an arty kind of weird. Uh, Cronenberg. Yes, yeah, well, so it's Cronenberg more in less in his body horror mode, yeah. and more in his drama with a hint of body horror, uh, that then turned into drama with a hint of psychological disturbance. You know, like Cronenberg's through line isn't one of his horror movies, and I think that it. it that you know, yeah. In the U.S., people don't know about this film and don't care because it wasn't controversial there. Uh, similarly, I'm sure there are things which are controversial in the U.S. which we know nothing about the controversy, you know, because it wasn't really. A yeah, thing if for anybody us. knows any, feel free to write into us and tell us. Uh, we're, yes, we're, we're but we're not quite to that part of the no, show. But yet. I'm just saying that would be quite cool if anybody does know any. Let us know because that would be quite cool. But um, speaking of controversy, I'm here. Hey. Ah. <laughs> How controversial. Hello. Controversial, <laughs> yes. Controversially. Yes, we're discussing controversy, Justin. Yes. <laughs> and controversially, you overslept. Funnily enough, before the podcast began, uh, 
Sue said, he's probably asleep. And I'm like, no, Justin assured me several weeks ago, he always gets up at 9am no matter I, what. I, I do normally until my alarm fails to go off and then I apparently sleep in until... And I said to Leo, this will be the one day he's laying in bed going, I'm going to have a nice lion. <laughs> but, uh, yes, Justin, we're talking about controversy. Uh, please do join us. <laughs> Uh, you've missed the video nasties and the controversy oh, over good. the advent of video. But we're currently talking about how in the 90s people seemed to try to, well, well, some people decided to employ controversy as a marketing tool to get people into the cinema um, in the first place. But that this quickly revealed that um, it's not, you know, just because something's controversial doesn't make it good. No, no, I quite agree. Um, and, and, post the 1990s i don't know we're pro i mean you know everything is cyclical so it's probably all going to go around but uh, my experience of it is that society as a whole kind of got to this point where it's like yeah i'm not going to go and see something just because it has controversial topic matter in it because that doesn't mean that it's going to be well, ultimately the desensitization to it once you see next number of violent films another film come out going we're really really violent just doesn't hit your buzzer anymore in terms of interest does it no, I think that I think that yes, the initial draw of uber violent movies. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I'm pretty sure I experienced this idea again with reference to, to RoboCop that I went to all these films in the 1990s that promised uber violence and came out and went, yeah, it wasn't as bad as RoboCop. <laughs> and that that's the thing. Well, I, you, I, then I, you start I think sexual things will always always. For some reason, it's held in greater taboo than ripping someone's face off. Like I said, kids, it it, it, it portrays underage uh, young people having sex. So, I, terrible. Mm, and, well, yeah, I mean, sexual... And, and morally banned proper, in terms of film as well. Proper illegal sexual deviance is always... A, but there was a film out last year, um, which I cannot remember. It had um, Michael Fassbender in it. Um, about him being a sex addict and blah, blah, blah. And it was a very arty film and and nobody really went to see it. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I honestly think that the most... Thing is, the thing is, when it comes to sex to me, is it's when does it push the line? Um, and there's sometimes sex is gratuitous. Well, and, and actually, isn't there a film coming out that, that has actual film sex in it? I mean, I don't mean a porno film. I mean, an actual... Hollywood film. No, it's too late. Too late for that. That ship has already sailed. But this uh, one. Was, but guess who's in this one? It's Charlotte Buff. In the Buff. Oh God. Yeah. Now that uh, keeps but, you but, away from the movie. So, it's anti-publicity. So still, what my point is, clearly, yes, it's been done before. But still, they're still trying to flog, you know, um, this uh, that Sheila aspect to, to sell. I could, I could get know, right behind someone flogging Sheila Buff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eric, carry on. Well, so, so, so Charlie Buff is trying to sell his sex tape as a movie now. Let's not let's move away from this. Sue had something to say, and I want to hear it more than I want to hear anything about Sheila Buff. <laughs> I was saying though that um, basically, the, you know, the, the gratuitous sex scenes, and there's the things like you know the Basic Instinct and the scene in The Watchman and all that kind of stuff. But then there's the sex scenes that cause controversy that actually have a point. Uh, Boys Don't Cry is the sex scene where, you know, she, Hilary Duff is raped, you know what I mean, because she turns out she's a girl when she's pretending to be a boy, you know what I mean, and that kind of stuff, you know, um, and it actually caused massive controversy because 
you know, it was a full-on rape scene. It was a full-on nasty rape scene. Mm. And it was actually really well done on her part. And that actually disturbs me a lot more than some of the gratuitous stuff because it was so full-on. But it had a real point to it. It made a point in the film. So there's, there's a big difference between what type of sex scene and well, what type of sex well, yeah, and no, why it causes controversy. Well, there's a, there's a cultural... Uh thing where I think that we don't pursue that because if you go back as far as um, The Accused with Jodie yeah. Foster and um, Kelly McGillis in it, yeah. that caused like a society-wide sort of debate about various this, yeah. that and the other. I mean, again, as well, it, you know, The Silence of the Lambs uh, had so much to it that it, it kind of goes beyond this, but there was a serious societal controversy about the portrayal of gay people in the movies. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that, that that kind of was triggered off by that. And I think it's really hard to get, particularly in dramatic presentations, uh, a society-wide debate going. And I think that's why people kind of shy away from it, because unless literally everybody is talking about X, but the internet has made society so fragmented that it's a fluke when all of society is talking about one thing or another. So you can't make a big event discussion you know, after school special type movie like that anymore because you won't get the traction. Certain people just will be on the internet registering their complete lack of interest within seconds and that kind of cheapens the topic. So it's had to make people, you know, you know, when The Accused came out, it seemed that for 10 minutes everybody was talking about The Accused. And when Science of the Lambs came out, it seemed that for 10 minutes everybody was talking about the portrayal of homosexuals in the cinema. Now you couldn't bring out anything and have it seem like the 10 minutes everybody gave a crap about anything. Yeah, when it comes to homosexuality, we've been on a bit of a journey here because I remember, you know, EastEnders, popular British soap opera about miserable people, there was a peck on the cheek between two gay men who were regular characters in that series and the sun went nuts. They were like, get this filth off our television. And a few short days later, we had a complete flip reversal on this whole thing and now it's like we can't portray them negatively anymore. I don't seem to remember them complaining about the broadside. uh, Brookside. The, yeah, the they don't complain when it's a woman and a woman. Yeah. Well, it was two women and also two It gives them an excuse for the printers to pull out the Z thing on their printing presses for the word sizzle. You know, yeah. they like that sizzle. Yeah, it's just yeah. They, they again, it's that it's that sexism culture of England though. The you know, oh, they don't mind the lesbian scene, but you know, the gay men, oh, oh, you know, it was a peck on the cheek as well. It wasn't like it was anything particularly salacious. It wasn't like they were but tugging well, and clapping on the sofa, tugging each other. If suits. we're going to talk about this, um, behind the candelabra, which we discussed a few weeks yeah. ago, um, is 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 you know one of the gayest movies ever, but in a really flat kind of. Well, this happens to be a drama about gay men. Yeah. It, that's one of the things that, I mean, this is an advantage of today's culture, is that, yes, it did cause 10 minutes of it was going to be in the cinema in the US, and then they decided to make a TV movie because they didn't believe people would drive to a multiplex to watch Michael Douglas kiss Matt Damon, so they put it on television instead, whereas here it got a cinema release. But generally speaking, and it did have exactly that impact that, for 10 minutes, some people were talking about gay men kissing, but most people didn't really care. But the point is that the film responded to that by just being a film. Yeah. And I think that's... And a that's good film. Yes. That. 
and I think that's what what makes it when it's completely normal. Most people don't care. Some people watch it and they judge it on the merits of not are there men kissing in it, but is it an interesting movie with an interesting story and interesting things happen? The answer to all these questions is yes, and it happens to have men kissing in it. But hey, you know, and I think that's the you know the character study was perfect. The men kissing is just a demonstration of this is who the character is and what he was. Everything goes through kind of periods, any kind of what would have been considered a taboo or something. Um, so I mean, for instance, the uh, you know you could say the same about um, kind of the black movement. You know, where once upon a time it was a you know the iconic. You'd have a role, whereas now, of course, no one really cares you know at all about anyone of any particular. You know, race or whatever. Uh, well, you say um, that, or, but I think people are still complaining about it's, it's difficult certainly. to get roles if, if you're black or, or minority. Uh, they still uh, aren't. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly not equal, but it goes through a process. You know, where, still yeah. waiting for a different race, Doctor Who. Come yes. on. Yes, we we, we we had a very long period of of, of white leads having best black friends or having wise older black friends dispense wisdom to them like magic. Yeah. Well, we watched a. I mean, we watched a, a, a horror movie last night. Uh, there was a direct to DVD uh, phenomenon of the found footage type. It's like the thing about it is it kept popping up over and over again that people are trying to punt this movie as something that people are actually watching. And indeed, it was a movie that sailed a very difficult course between being worthwhile and being sorry that you spent an hour and a half watching it. <laughs> in that it it was exactly on the edge. I wasn't sorry I spent an hour and a half watching it, but it managed to have no redeeming special qualities that made it worth recommending whatsoever. Right. And that was, I mean, the only thing about it, the only thing remarkable about it is that it managed to steer that course because not many movies do. But one of the things that it did, which was, uh, it's not irritating, but kind of quaint and cute, was the fact that it had a black guy in it and they were very determined he wasn't going to be the first one to die. <laughs> no, they went out of their way to have other people die first. In this kind of way where the film was actually ostentatious, and you go, look, the black guy's still alive, so is the woman. And then they went, oh, yeah, but I know what you're thinking now. You're thinking, you're thinking that the woman is going to make it out alive. Well, we're not going to do that either. It's like, yeah, but you're just doing the opposite of kind of the cliche, which is almost a cliche in itself. So, you know. Um, I mean, that was, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think what it comes down to is that the minute that you reach for controversy as the thing that's going to propel people into watching you, you haven't got any other ideas. It's like everybody's going to want to talk about this because it's so controversial. It means that nobody's going to want to talk about it because, wow, what a great movie and what a great story, what a great this, that, and the other. And indeed, the big things that get seem to get the entire community mobilised these days are whether the CG is rubbish in the latest tentpole, whether it was really worth showing that in 3D, and whether or not um, filming on digital video is a good thing. I don't know. There's been a few films that I, recently over the past few years that I remember having slight controversies put to them, and I kind of went, why? Like what? And yet other films I remember going, oh, my God. Yes. Um, Sucker Punch was one of those that had a bit of, oh, oh it's yes. so sexist. Yes. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, my God. And I went, what? What? Okay. 
okay, what the hell's going on with this? Why do men hate Sucker Punch and think Sucker Punch is really sexist and yet think Riddick is okay? Well, no, Riddick actually, is no, actually really sexist. No, Riddick is most emphatically not okay. The only people who thought that Riddick were okay were the idiots that made it. Yeah. And then afterwards kind of went, I mean, that's the thing. You know, it, it's like there's been a lot, last year there was a lot of backpedalling going on. Uh, where people went, oh, yeah, we thought such and such was a good idea. Turns out we were wrong. Uh, but they never got it through until after the fact. Yeah. But, yeah, no, R- Riddick has gone down in infamy. As most people just, you know. It's so sexist and bad. I don't know why she took that role at all. But, um, dudes, uh, uh, here, Sucker Punch, have you seen this movie? I haven't. Yeah, I, I, um, it's... it's- beautiful in places because it's just it's just crazy visually um i don't know it left me feeling a bit kind of hollow it's not it's not one of my why why did it make you feel hollow uh, i don't know it just things didn't for me it's nothing to do with controversy or anything i know there was people complained about being a rape fantasy or something but anyway i um i i i just didn't really i thought some of the acting was pretty bad yeah convincing uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. <laughs> um, I, I just, um, right. I, I don't maybe know. I, I, to me, it, it kind of fell apart as a film. Part of it didn't make sense. Right. It just, it wasn't a, it wasn't a well-crafted film. I thought in places it was kind of a bit, kind of, yeah, kind of sloppy. Yeah. Uh, let me resolve this matter for you, Justin, because this is what resolved it for me. I turned to, we watched it, and I turned to Sue at the end and went, "So was that misogynist?" And she said, in order for it to be a misogynist, it would have to make sense. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, it can't be. And that was that was it. Sucker um, suck Punch is the girl in, in the Salem Asylum who has fantasies about uh, being a schoolgirl with a sword or something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, is, yeah. It, is it just because we're men of a certain age and so therefore we don't feel that we can really, like, get any kind of, you know, we can't. We, it feels bad to perv over someone that young in a school uniform. It's like, I'm too old to be doing that kind of thing now. Sorry, I've got that to opt out of this fantasy. That the critics who labelled it misogynist had that exact thought process going on. But we can all be assured that it, it's not done in a titillating way. It's, it's done no, in a, it's done... a way to imitate anime, yeah. basically. Um, and it's you know just a reference homage rip off of anime all the way through, um, and it, the plot doesn't yes, actually but, uh, make any anime sense. Anime is so about that, pretty girls in short skirts being you know kick ass, I mean, having it, swords it, and chopping up. It, it's, it's still it's still but, sexualization to a degree though, isn't it? Well, I mean this is it is sexualization to a degree, but no more than anything else in Hollywood. Yeah, this on, is what I'm trying to say. It's like yeah. on what level is this any more than? Demi Moore walking across a beach in a bikini, or you know what I mean? It's 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 no more than anything else in, in you'll a, ever see. In a white, right? Okay, so uh, so it's get it out of your head and look at it as a film. Yeah, as a film, and as a film, it's a bit weird. It's a bit yeah. too weird to call I mean, it anything else. In a way, personally, we we in this household have more controversy over things that people. Uh, don't yeah. treat as controversial. You're thinking of Kickass. Kickass really upset me. Right. Kick-ass really, really, really upset me. Violence towards a young girl and nobody bats an eyelid. Um, I think I didn't have a problem with it because it's it's a completely hyper-realistic, you know, place. It's not... You can't take any of it seriously, surely. I mean... Uh, it, but the problem, I think that the problem in the discussion that followed that was that tonally 
it tries to have its cake and eat, eat it. it. Yeah. That if you really did have uh, violence towards... Uh, the whole point is that it wore a lot of clothes of verisimilitude because the whole point of the story was why don't we dress up in silly costumes and then, you know, run around like superheroes. And, superheroes. and then, you know, it goes to pains to make it obvious that this guy who does this is just a nutter and is not... And that, but so then when it introduces the other element, it's like you're trying to be hyper-realistic, but at the same time you're trying to invoke realism. And when you put things... It's not the individual elements of what you have. It's when you put them together. And so the two things collide in someone's head to yeah, be I mean, in I, the same I, place. I agree with you. I think there are, there, are, they have, there are several films in this genre of what if superheroes are real that, done, that do a better job at it. Um... So, um, so yeah, I agree. You kind of start off with that and then it goes crazy. But, I mean, I didn't... Um, so, it's flawed in that way, but I never took any of the violence against young girls to be serious at all. I mean, Yeah, I, but I think, I think that's because... I think there's a difference between coming at it from the position of... You know, people don't worry... I think that there's a point where it's like you're always going to... You know, if you're going to identify with someone in a movie then the person you're going to identify with is the person who's experiences personality and so on. And, it, you know, sometimes men into, into you know, uh, identify with the, with a female character uh, and sometimes women identify with a male character and what have you. And I think the problem is that not the whole point about Hit Girl is that she's supposed to be, from the male point of view, like all the people who are watching it are supposed to identify with Kick-Ass himself. Yeah. yeah? But if you don't, then and you can I mean the thing about it is Hit Girl's quite funny and intelligent and sassy and resourceful and what yeah. have so if you're a, a funny intelligent resourceful woman going to see the movie you're not going to you're not going to sympathise with the comic book nerd who puts on a lycra you know mankini and goes out and gets himself walloped you're going to sympathise with the you know girl who's resourceful and intelligent and funny and you know yeah. blah blah blah. And then when you see how that character is treated, that's going to give a different spin to the film. And that's how it is, because now you're in a different position than the even the writer thought you would be. The writer believed that everybody would be sitting there and the hit girl's like a joke. A joke about, in fact, Kick-Ass's incompetence in that she's like half his age, half his size, and yeah. ten times his competence. Yeah. But it's still... It's still quite disturbing. Yeah. I mean, how is the violence towards her done? Is it, is it done as like, this is real? This is actually... Has yes, violence yes. That's the, because that's the she tone. She is proper punched yeah. in the face. She is proper beaten because the shit out of... Is, is that supposed to be like... Her the, father the, burned to death. She properly... It is proper nasty, Ian. So is, it, is, it that, is, is that supposed really to be like... Uh, the pop? Yes, Were they trying, because the thing I, I think there might be a going yep. was it was all fun and games until this happened and now it's turned on yeah. its head and it's dark. Yeah. Well, it's a, no, I mean, violence in Kick-Ass is a tonal device to say, this is like people pretending to be superheroes, but it's not really the real world, because on the other hand, there's lots of zany comic book antics. It, I mean, you but know, the violence is so yes, real. Her dad well, dies yeah. in front of her, uh, burning yeah, to death. It, well, because, she is constantly yes. being shot yeah, at, yeah, yeah. punched in the face, That's, stabbed. You know what yeah, I mean? I was going to say, this is Mark Miller's... And people who have a problem with the writer, Mark Miller, as a whole, 
have a problem that this is exactly his shtick, is that he makes tries to represent violence as real, but then at the other end of the scale says, yeah, but it's all a comic book, and therefore it's going to be outrageously button-pushing button and what have you. So, you know, that's, that's just... Some people can accept it and some I people can't, really I can't. I can't watch a child being punched in... A, ch a young girl being punched in the face and having blood dripping from her face no matter how much she's clumping. I can't watch it. it to yeah. me, that's, that's a yeah. bit too yeah. Controversial. Um, so I think, to, to bring it all together, that's like a... That's where controversy now sits. Controversy sits in... Like, of that type, sits in, in individual households. It doesn't really sit on a society-wide basis. So... Uh, therefore, people find certain things controversial, and I think that's why it's less of a, you know, I mean, what's the, you know, the controversies in the overall film industry, uh, piracy. I mean, it's all it's weird now that I come to think about it. The things that society is concerned about regarding the entertainment industry are all more or less technical, and the individual blips of moral outrage are just, I know, no. I, I just experience them as not, yeah, they're not ever taken up. They don't run and run. Well, the thing is, the films are so expensive these days, they kind of go out the way not to make a controversial movie. Yeah. Uh, well, in a way, but then at the same time, you know, the, yes, I mean, as we've just discussed, sometimes films that are not ooh, supposed to be quote-unquote controversial, at least not in the sense where it actually upsets people. I think, um, I think Sacha Baron Cohen has delved into this kind of a bit. He's, he not for Americans, certainly... He's, he's filmed often are, I mean, we come to more accepting of this kind of stuff and go, yeah, okay, this is not shocking. But certain things that he does with his characters for the American audience, that you probably consider them controversial. Yeah, they and then, but, I think, you know, they can't. Well, he obviously demonstrates because the first thing that happens in the advent of the age of the internet, when you, you come up with something where it is, yeah, certain parties do find it quote unquote controversial, is that the first people on the internet to register their disgust within moments uh, are saying, like, well, yeah, he thinks he's being edgy, but really it's not. The first thing anyone says when somebody think quote unquote thinks they're being edgy is that they're not being edgy, they're just being stupid. And that's the first comment. And I think that's possibly what pe puts people off. Because the last thing you want is to come out with something where people want to have maybe a serious, controversial discussion. And either, one, be ignored, or two, instantly be rebuffed with, well, you think you're being out there and outrageous, but actually you're not. Those are the two reactions you don't want. You want to be able to slip in between that to a moment where people actually are stunned by something and it seems that no longer are they as a group. It, it seems very hard to stun everybody at once. Uh, um, except, with, except with how bad After Earth was. Everybody was kind <laughs> of smiling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the internet, as you said, we've said, kind of desensitises you. So I think, you know, we're not living in, in a Victorian age where, you know, showing a flashing a ankle on the on the screen would send, you know, the audiences kind of wailing and, and to their to their Bibles. I mean, most, you know, if you're talking about general audiences, people have seen, you know, all manner of extreme stuff. If they want to, you know, they're not going to be they're not going to be shocked on mass. But obviously, there are still going to be communities. There's still going to be parts of the society that have a stricter code for things and therefore will be, you know, will find things offensive, will find things. 
in a way, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Or I'm kind of enjoying the fact, I'm not sure whether it's ever going to come into its own, that um, we're about to have like television series and movies and stuff about sort of fundamentalist Christian beliefs. Because this is the next thing that stands the biggest chance of really upsetting loads of people. <laughs> Especially in America, yeah. I mean, yeah, Noah's already had a good go. Yes. Um, <laughs> but as 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 predicted so far, I'm getting the feeling that most, although they've tried and they've tried, you know, we've had headlines, oh, Christian groups upset about Noah and blah, blah, blah. What it's come down to is nobody Mid- really Middle gives East, a... Middle East was more upset than the Christian groups, to be honest with you. Sarah. Well, whatever. And that actually, because the Middle East was more upset than the Christian groups, the Christian groups all went, oh, well, they're more upset than us, so actually it must be very yes, Christian. It's... Oh, it must be fine then, because they're <laughs> really upset. Yeah, 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 it was released in March. It's now nearly May. I think the headline on Noah is nobody really cares about Noah. No, I think it was. I think it was definitely a case of oh well, if people in the Middle East are upset, then the Christians. Oh yeah, that's fine. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion about how the various storms in teacups resolved. All that's important is that they did, and in the end, not many people could be bothered to it's, go and it see it. It was just plain racism yeah. on the American part. So there we go. Part, uh, if you uh, really love Noah or any of the things that, if, if you've been affected by any of the issues that we've talked about <laughs> in this episode of uh, Revenge of and the Eighties, anybody 80s agrees kids, with me on on kick. Yes, feel free or to or, or indeed anything else, or wants to hear more of Sue's bizarre opinions about any. Not that they're necessarily <laughs> wrong, but they are bizarre I, I in the have run of them. Views of things um, which I, I think are often quite insightful and clever. I think that she's bang on about kick ass. I think that. Un- I've got underline- no issue with grown women being punched in the face or anything, especially if they can throw a punch back. It's the fact that she, uh, well, she she could eviscerate. She could throw a punch back. It's the fact that she's a little girl and she's got blood dripping from her face. And to me, that's a bit. Well, I mean, the thing about it is that she's uh, just watched her dad yeah, die. No, but in a way, in a way, in a way, in a way, from personally, in a way, from personal experience, say it doesn't matter how many punches you can throw when you're a 12 year old girl who can eviscerate an entire room full of bad guys you you're stocking to, you're stocking up to. problems for later on in life aren't you, you so you know that's really um, 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 i'm still waiting for but my anyway. cue but yes sorry. <laughs> sorry if you've been affected by the issues in this program then where ian might they go to do that well, one place you could controversially go would be our Facebook page, uh, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. Uh, we put up links to our somewhat controversial podcast there, and also links we find uh, will elicit public hysteria. But really, uh, podcasts are what it's all about. For that, you need to point your web browser towards 80s Kids, uh, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S, kids.podomat.com. Please go there and subscribe to our outrageous podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice or download direct to your PC for controversial reasons of your own. But this is only where our most recent podcasts can be found. The legacy of our podcasts, our outrageous and public uh, out- outrage inflaming podcasts can be found at... Uh, controversially on neostableford.com where there's a full archive of all the shows that you can't find uh, on our Podomatic feed. Um, and uh, you can also find there uh, some of my controversial works and other controversial stuff. I'm going to stop saying controversial now, uh, controversially, and hand it over to Justin to ask where you might be able to find his deviant stuff. Oh, yes. <laughs> 
Yes, it might, might it might not be fully 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 uh, controversial, but yes, there's plenty of deviancy there. Uh, my demon art page uh, under my full name, Justin Wyatt. Um, but you know, if I, I, I might I might dabble in some controversy with my hilarious Mohammed the comic strip, you know, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Are there any religions we haven't left to offend yet? I'm not sure. <laughs> The Amish. Let's let's let's, let's actually the don't add don't add podcast. They won't either. listen. So Screw no the problem. Amish. <laughs> Say what you like about them. The Amish smell of poo. There. The yeah. Until we put our podcast out on wax cylinder, that's one audience we're never going to reach. <laughs> well then, I think we've uh, reached the end of this somewhat controversial topic. Uh, yes, thank you very much, folks, and uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, where we'll be controversially or not so controversially looking at 1993. Yay. This should be banned! <laughs> Ban this sick filth! Bye! <laughs>